0: Hey, party people. Welcome to the Patrama Party. My name is Remy Ramirez and I'm your host as we wade through all things trauma, but like in a fun way, sometimes, sometimes fun, sometimes just the deepest pain of your life. Just a pinata of trauma waiting to shower you with wild abandon. That's not a party. What is I ask you? So Pour your glass of wine, rip that bong, put something slutty on because we are getting into it. But before we do that, I want to shout out a couple of friends real quick, since this is my first actual episode. Huge thank you to my sweet friend and musical genius, Tim Wright, for creating the Patrama Party theme song. It's so fucking good and catchy and fun. I want it to be four minutes longer so I can dry hum to it at the club. And also another huge thank you to Bernadette Torres, my friend since the fourth grade, who made the Petrama Party logo, and it is sick, and she is cool. Y'all are the best. Next time I'm in LA slash Portland, bougie cocktails are on me. Okay, trauma. Today we're talking about SB8, the fucked up piece of shit legislation that Texas passed and the Supreme Court put a big old thumbs up sticker on that makes abortion illegal after six weeks and also puts a bounty of $10,000 on the head of anyone involved in the abortion, including, but not limited to, the woman receiving the abortion, her doctors and nurses, whoever drove her to the abortion, someone who knew about the abortion but didn't do anything to stop it, and on and on. Incidentally, the dude who got her pregnant Is not on that list, which is a real shock considering this law was conceived in the ball sack of the patriarchy, aka Texas, which by the way, I can say that because I'm from Texas. But anyway, we could say that anyway because fuck SB8. The good news is that a federal judge recently blocked SB8. Of course, Texas has appealed and it will likely go before a conservative judge and get unappealed. So we're all just in a super cool, moment of limbo with people's lives and futures at stake. To give us some calm in this storm, psychotherapist Julia Willinger is joining us today. Hi, Julia. How
1: are you? What is up? Hi, I'm good. I'm glad to be here. I mean, of course, I don't want to be talking about this awful situation, which it wasn't occurring, but I'm glad to be offering resources for all of us um, that are affected
0: by this. So thanks for having me on. Oh my God, thank you so much for coming on and chatting with me about this. Um, I'm going to dive right in, but if you want to jump in at any point, feel free or not, do you? And then after, we'll turn some questions over to you so you can help us maneuver this actual swamp of cow shit. How does that sound? Great, thanks for having me. Excited. Okay, cool. So in terms of the trauma around this law, what immediately comes up for me is this sense that I'm being targeted by people who hate me because I have a vagina and they see me as a threat to their power. The more power I have, the less power they have. And to be clear, this is just the narrative of the patriarchy. It's all about power grabs, domination, control, and it works within a system of scarcity, right? The idea that the more you have, the less I have versus community-based systems that come from a place of the better off you are, the better off I am, because our well-being is interdependent. But I also just want to say, I feel like misogyny, like the kind represented in SB8, comes down to the resentment that men have around not having access to sex. And this is like hetero men that I'm talking about. And they're like, oh, women don't want to do sex with me. Well, then they can get fucked in all these other ways because I may not have the power to attract women, but I sure do have the power to punish them for having sex with other dudes. So from where I'm standing with my vagina, it's basically hatred, which is this concept, right? It's this intangible thing being made into law. So putting hatred onto paper and bringing it from the idea plane and turning it into law. Another way of talking about that phenomenon might be oppression. And even though SB8 is specific to people who have vaginas and to the feminine, if you're looking at archetypes or energies, this practice of turning hatred into law is something lots of people have been victim to, especially in this country. Black people, brown people, Asian people, Jewish people, Muslim people, gay people, trans people, the list goes on. So the trauma of feeling targeted through law by people who hate you is an experience tons of people can relate to. And of course it's ancestral, also ancestral trauma, slavery, Jewish concentration camps, Japanese internment camps, the targeting of Muslims after 9-11 and on and on. And I also want to add that this law is fucking racist, which white supremacy already has ensured that people of color are disproportionately forced into poverty, but with SB8 slashing access to abortion, that cycle is super exacerbated because family planning is synonymous with financial well-being, especially when people are already coming from a place of systemic poverty. Okay, so all of this is sort of like the background. I think it's, you know, maybe kind of abstract in a way. But the, but the question I'm really interested in is, what does the trauma feel like and what do we do with it? Like, let's put this baby under a microscope and see what the fuck it's all about. When SB8 happened, it reminded me of the moment when John Roberts was sworn in under Bush Jr. So this is like 2005-ish. I was in grad school at the time, and I was also going through a super fucked depression. It was one of the worst times of my life. And I remember I sank to my kitchen floor and sobbed. I sobbed so hard and for so long over this that I looked up and realized I'd completely missed my class. I didn't even realize I'd been crying on the floor for over an hour. As it's turned out, John Roberts has proved to be kind of a switch header and actually isn't the villain to women that I thought he would be, but, but that Brett Kavanaugh and Amy Coney Barrett definitely are. But that moment really illuminated to me like how true that 70s feminist adage is the personal is political. And actually, I've always thought it made more sense to say the political is personal. Like politics affect people's lives in a very personal way, especially when you're not a white, hetero, cisgendered, able-bodied man. And in this moment, when we're thinking about SB8, the thing that links them for me is this core belief that I've carried since I was little that was reflected back to me in every aspect of my upbringing on every side of my family. And that is that men don't really love women. Like not really, not actually. I grew up around men abusing women and children, but even in best case scenarios in my childhood, men could be infatuated with women and they could definitely lust after women, but actual love, like the verb love, like wanting the best for women and listening to their wants and needs and seriously taking those ver- that those wants and needs into consideration like asking for consent in every aspect of a woman's life that would affect her providing safety and solace and comfort no absolutely fucking not like that was not that I did not see that modeled back to me and even religion which wasn't a huge part of my upbringing but was a place that like as a young girl I saw as being the container for nice good men. Even that place I eventually figured out was actually this hothouse horror show of misogyny. I mean, the, the Bible itself is rife with it. And there are like umpteen examples, but even the story of Christ, like God just rape jams a Messiah into Mary without ever once being like, you know what? You are totally worthy of respect and consideration and bodily autonomy. Like how would you feel about being the mother of Christ? Which by the way, when you're a dude and you have that narrative being impressed upon your psyche from a very young age, and you're being told that that's what the sacred looks like, it's no fucking wonder that religious men grow up to be misogynist and to feel totally entitled to make decisions about women without ever fucking considering how those decisions will feel for or be experienced by the women in question. So when a law like SBA comes up, it triggers all of that for me. It feels super debilitating and disempowering. I feel the weight of having to navigate an entire world set up by people who hate me, which is incidentally how I also felt around my dad growing up. And so it feels really vulnerable for me. And I've said this before, but feminism itself is a trauma response. That's, that's what feminism is. It's a trauma response to the realization that the exact people who are supposed to support and comfort and protect you, the men in your community, are actually the people who are attacking and undermining you. Another layer of that for me is that when SB8 happened, dudes were fucking silent, like not a goddamn peep, except for like four of my guy friends. But men, men who I know for a fact, are trying to fuck without a condom all the time, didn't have anything to say about it. Like, bro, you couldn't even be bothered to post one thing, really? All of that together ignited that deep core belief that I carry, that men don't really love women. Because on the one hand, you have the men making these laws who you already know and expect to hate women and to undermine them. But then you have these guys who are supposedly on the right side of politics, who convince you they're on your side, men who actively benefit from abortion access and supposedly support it. And they're just like, sorry, not my problem. Shrug emoji. Also, BT dubs, men who, and I need to say this, men who write and push through anti-abortion law also benefit from abortion access when they impregnate their mistresses. When their daughters get pregnant, and those pregnancies might embarrass the family, nuns in the case of priests, and that's a true fucking story. The Catholic Church has no shame. These men are just grade A hypocrites. So I also feel like that needs to be said. And also, there are are there are there men writing this legislation who like firmly believe in it. Yes, but honestly, like I don't really know how many of those actually exist. Anyway, as I was sitting with all of this a memory came up for me when I was in the fourth grade, I was going to school in LA and there were a a limited number of four square spots on the playground. Like maybe there were just two, as I recall, I can't really remember how many, but not that many. And I loved four square, but inevitably I would run out there with a ball. And if even one boy got in in one of the squares If you don't know how four square works, it's basically like a big square that's made up of four smaller squares. And you can have one person in each of those smaller squares. So four people at a time and you like throw the ball back and forth. And if it, like, if you throw it out of bounds or I don't, I can't remember exactly what the rules are, but if someone gets out, if they can't catch the ball, I remember that was one, if they can't catch the ball, then they're out. If someone throws it to them and they miss it. Well, If even one boy got in one of the squares, what would happen was, because he was just stronger and could throw the ball harder, is that one boy would systematically get every girl out and fill the squares up with boys till it was only boys in the square. And then together, they would make sure that they never got each other out and they would just play for the whole entirety of the recess so that the girls who were waiting would never be able to get back into the game. What the fuck? with that instinct? What the fuck with that meanness? I remember having tears in my eyes when I couldn't get all girls in all four squares right at the beginning of recess because I knew that meant I would just spend the whole 30 minutes standing around powerless, watching the boys have fun. And I mean, what a, what a fucking metaphor that incidentally is real life. The other thing is that I know I had a pretty fucked relationship with my dad and my dad had a fucked relationship with his dad and my mom had a fucked relationship with her dad and her stepdad. And I know that because of that, I experienced the masculine through a filter of heartbreak and betrayal and resentment. And I know all of that is at play when laws like SBA come up because my family system becomes full screen now, right? It's like I was looking at my personal relationship to the masculine on a little YouTube vid about my own family microcosm. And now with SB8, that video is like, it's like I'm front row in a fucking IMAX theater with surround sound and HD and men hating women is like screaming at me definitely from the screen. in, in other words, I know that I'm sensitive to SB8 and other anti-abortion laws because of my personal experiences. But all that said, I really don't like people being like, oh, the patriarchy bothers you. Well, what was your relationship with your dad like? Like that insinuation that I have daddy issues in quotation marks, by the way, because even that phrase is super sexist and places the blame for men's abusive behavior onto the shoulders of women. But that implication is super dismissive. It's like, you're making this a bigger deal than it actually is because you're a crazy woman because you had an abusive dad. Uh, no, I can just more easily access the pain and heartache of the feminine as an energetic whole because of my personal experiences and childhood. So that also comes up for me because I often feel so alone in the pain and the fear and the anxiety that I experience around these laws for a lot of people it just doesn't seem to penetrate. And I have to remind myself that just because laws like SB8 don't send other people into weeks-long panic attacks it doesn't mean that these laws aren't a very real threat to the livelihoods of women and people who have vaginas. So that's a snapshot of some different trauma angles, political and personal, which are ultimately the same thing, that come up for me around this law. So the next question is, what has worked for me? Where is the healing? And I have some ideas around that that have come up in my life. One is activism, writing my senators and reps, writing the president, showing up at marches with my sign, just generally taking action is a mental health practice for me because it counteracts the voice in my head that says, this is hopeless and you are powerless. Another thing that I thought I would kind of talk about is that I got some great advice from a woman who runs something called Her Mystery School. Her name is Jumana Sophia, and she has a ton of YouTube vids, and she talks a lot about boundaries that hold you in rather than boundaries that keep others out. And I don't, well, I was gonna say, I don't know if I've at all mastered that, but the truth is I know for a fact that I have not mastered that. But I love the concept. Essentially what she says is that Rather than telling someone that they're a piece of shit or they're a chauvinist or they're a Republican, which is basically an insult, as we know, we focus on what's right for us and what isn't. And we make choices about what to interact with based on what keeps us centered and powerful. It's a subtle distinction, but what it does is it keeps you focusing on yourself and on what you need rather than like unraveling on Facebook on some dickwad's post about murdering babies. So you take your focus off of them and who they are and how deeply you'd like to see them submerged in a sea of feces, right? You do a body scan on yourself. And then you ask, how do I keep myself in my power? What do I need? And what do I need to say to stay strong? Like screaming into the void of social media at someone who sucks, that just weakens me. So it's still about boundaries and we're still able to see people for, you know, who we think they are, but it limits the permission we give ourselves to unravel around those people and what they're doing so that we have strength to be with ourselves, to take care of ourselves and to be active for justice. A third thing, and this is so abstract, but I wanted to add it in case it's helpful to anyone and it may not be helpful to anyone, but I'm going to do it anyway, there's something healing for me in remembering that the universe, like actual outer space, not like, um, you know, Palo Santo universe, but like actual science does fucked up stuff to other parts of the universe, like explosions that eat up galaxies and shit. Look, I'm not a scientist and I, I don't know galaxy star facts. Okay. But I do know that creation and destruction natural laws that govern literally everything and sometimes rather than feeling so personally attacked by oppressive politics it helps me to think of these people as just dark forces in the universe just like out there causing chaos and destruction and if i can zoom way the fuck out i can realize that this is just an echo of the most basic aspect of science and somehow, though it doesn't change anything in terms of justice, it helps it feel less personal to me. And last, honestly, just giving myself space to cry and freak out and honoring that politics have real emotional consequences for me without feeling ashamed of that or like, um, like I'm making a big deal out of something I shouldn't be making a big deal out of. That's just become part of my routine self-care when I navigate the political landscape. And I would even go so far as to suggest to people finding a cuddle therapist because these laws, these laws that turn the concept of hatred into reality make us feel unsafe. I feel unsafe in my society when I'm reminded that the people in power are working to take me out. I feel unsafe when I'm reminded that the, people in power, these members of my community, I want to say tribe, but I think that's a problematic word. Um, but we don't have a better word for it. <laughs> um, the members of my community, yeah, that they hate me. that That is a legitimate reason to feel unsafe. And I get to cry and have a panic attack when I'm reminded of that. I'm not going to make myself feel even more unsafe by telling myself I shouldn't feel what I'm feeling around these laws because I don't live in Texas or I'm not currently pregnant or whatever, like I've heard echoed on, you know, in social media comments. No, I create a safe space for the totally reasonable and appropriate emotional response that happens when I am reminded that many of the people who wield power in this country are not on my fucking team and don't want to see me succeed. So that's, that's, that's what's up. That's where I am with it. And Julia, I would love to bring you into this conversation and ask you some questions about this. Um, and just like hear how you've been interacting with this and what your thoughts are. So, um, the first one is obviously There is tremendous anxiety for people who can get pregnant right now with SBA in the world and a conservative majority Supreme Court. How can we take care and soothe ourselves when we feel overwhelmed and frightened?
1: Yes, and I just want to just like echo both the sentiment that you brought in and your vulnerability with sharing. The parts of this that have affected you on so many levels, and I'm always so, um, yeah. It just I'm always so grateful for you bringing in your vulnerability and your own suggestions too. And thanks. You know, you've listed so many. Um, I'm hearing already a part of you that feels that can potentially collapse into this helplessness and hopelessness, and how activism meets that part of you. And empowers you so you, so that helplessness is not there as much. And I'm a, assuming in that you know at some of some points in it you're not on your own, right? There's a community that you're either going out with or mm-hmm. someone on your own. But such a big part of this, like you said, is feeling unsafe and potentially targeted, and finding other like-minded people who validate your experience or in connection with you to. Feel empowered with and to go out in the world with is such a big part of this. To know that you're not alone and that your feelings are valid. And I heard that again, giving yourself that space and time to feel this and allow yourself and validate your own feelings and express them and know them and name them. And you know, I'm always again your emotional intelligence and your knowledge around that of not only what you're feeling but what to do around it for yourself um, is always really inspiring to hear and that's so real. It's like to honor what you're feeling, no matter if it makes sense on paper, like the story of like, oh, you're not pregnant. Like, no, like this, it is affecting you and you're allowed to, and I'm going to feel it. I mean, that in and of itself, and especially like you said, with somebody, if you can have, you know, whether it's a therapist or somebody there that's like validating that with you or regulating your nervous system or crying with you, like even more beneficial, I feel like the idea that Uh, constantly trying to undo is this uh, having to do things alone and that that doesn't mean just um, you know not saying trying to fight against this idea of doing things alone right because that's the very patriarchal um, society we live in and instead it's like where can we be seen and do things together and that that's cry too right like where can we get another nervous system with us that's on our level with us um Mm. to hold us and to be with and in whatever ways that may look like i also really love that idea of the boundaries um in order to get some of this space even as you were talking about it it's like okay Instead of like this joining in the conflict and meeting other people's energies, especially these, like what you named on Facebook, how activating I even felt when you said that. And can you know, that's why I'm not even on Facebook mm. personally. But it's like, what will happen to my nervous system and to my being? How much that puts me, if I join with that and meet that energy in one way, and then creating this space and this boundary of like, oh, hold on, let me pause here let me take a moment, check in. What am I feeling? What's this person's stuff? What's my stuff? And and that need place is like, there's something here that feels very threatened, right? And when our, our values like this one are being threatened, our nervous system thinks like we're literally, um, we go into fight and flight because it's like, we think it's like a literal tiger,
0: like, yeah, A sweat tooth tiger, you know, about to leap. Right,
1: exactly. And it's like taking that moment to be like, oof, okay, I'm okay. Like, obviously, on some level, uh, this, this is not, what's happening is not okay. And this person is causing anger, of course, but I'm not, my life isn't threatened right now. And you know, as we were talking before, that's where we collapse the complexity, we compl- co- collapse into that nuance of trying to hold like, I'm a person, this is a person. And where also our, our values and our ideas about politics aren't who we are as a person, but so many of us and Adam Grant, the psychologist talks about this a lot, a lot like we feel so threatened in these moments because we think it's our personhood. Mm. about our feelings and our philosophies but this right and wrong about us as humans but it's just our opinions that those don't make us who we are and we lose sight of that because of how threatening it feels on what we believe in and I think that's why we're in such this divisive state uh, right now right it's like vax anti-vax um Mm. you know we've been here before like with some of these issues, but they just seem so intense right now that a big part of the healing space for me is to try to not collapse my own complexity, right? Not to dehumanize others and myself. And it's so hard because mm-hmm. when we're our it's nervous so hard. systems, it's so hard. And this is like, this is asking a lot. So, you know, of myself and of others to not get into this right and wrong. Um, especially when it feels so right and wrong. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, But I just notice if, you know, I'm not even trying to build compassion for somebody in those moments, Mm -hmm. but it's that, that pause of like, oof, okay, like I I understand what's happening here and why my nervous system and why I'm reacting this way yet. I'm just going to take a pause and self-soothe. So you mentioned how to take care of ourselves and you know, whether you have access to that, taking a pause or not, like, I'm not gonna, that is also a practice, right? In these moments where it just feels so devastating, um, those moments of, can we pause in the moment? And if not, okay, we can't pause in the moment. And when I mean that, like, you know, when we're actively talking to somebody who has different values than us, when we're reading the news, um, we're gonna go into a hyper arousal state, right? Where we're just so angry um, when we can come down from that state or even learning and knowing, like, oof, if I read the news right now, there's a high chance that my nervous system might get dysregulated. Or if I speak to that person. So I like to safety plan ahead because I really think it's creating a boundary for myself and for this other person. And then, you know, that could hopefully ripple on. But it's like if I'm gonna do self-care and I start to track myself and know what's gonna make me upset. I get, a, I have so much more choice in agency. So does that mean like, not even like to the point of, am I going to not read the news or go on social media? Or am I going to just like minimize it? And if I go on, like, what are the practices I'm going to do before, during, and after? Am I going to take a deep mm. breath? Am I going to bath. meditate on, take a bath after? And like, even during it, am I going to rock back and forth? Am I going to hum? Like how activating can this material be Um, And being okay with that. Like that's, you know, being okay with understanding the the flow of our systems is so empowering, I think. And in the world we're in now, like safety planning with the news and politics, like you said, almost everything is political these days. But, you know, I think when we're choosing to go on uh, social media or read certain news or interact with certain people, we can plan around what's going to, how am I going to take care of myself in this moment? And there's so many ways to do that. Um, You know, am I going to call a friend afterwards? Am I going to, yeah, just notice if I'm, if I'm leaving my body as I'm reading this, can I take a deep breath every other line of this news? Can I call on an image of something that makes me feel like uh, something that really struck me as you were talking about is this zooming out. And for me, that's so important is to have these spaces where I can like kind of see the bigger picture because in those moments, it's so hard to, right? Yeah, um, so am I gonna go in even before and do a zoom out, which is like remembering this tree I love in this park because that that tree reminds me that like everything is gonna be okay. and you mm-hmm. know, we can go into the nuances of that, but
0: Yeah. It's those things just. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I love that you brought up a tree because, you know, I live in Sedona and nature, you know, I moved here from LA and nature was like, not really something. I didn't really get the hype about nature. I wasn't anti-nature and I was certainly pro like environment when it came to politics. And I understood why having nature was important for like our survival as a species, but being in nature, never super appealed to me until I moved out here. And I have realized, like, to your point about soothing the central nervous system, getting out into nature, actually, like, it's like, I forget that there's a whole other world that is just moving very slowly and doing what it needs to do every day in a quiet way. (laughs) You know, that has nothing to do with me and my anger and my being triggered. And, um, it's just, it's like when, when my anxiety is out of control, I've started to notice that if I just get into nature, I am transformed pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. So I think that's, Mm -hmm. that's a really, that's really helpful. Um, I do, I really want to ask you about this because one of the, the things that really fucks me up personally, and I talked about this when, when we're talking about SBA and other anti-abortion law is my personal ability to trust men or yeah, to not yeah. just like chug a you know, men don't love women cocktail till I'm sloshed on my own self-limiting beliefs. Because the truth, you know, I don't, I don't, one thing that doesn't work for me is to try to delude myself with like positive affirmations. And the truth is that misogyny is real. And there are plenty of men who don't and will not ever really love women. I'm not imagining that. And even though I know it's not the whole truth, it gets super activated around these anti-abortion laws, both because of the dudes who write them and because of the dudes who purport to be on our team, but then don't have a thing to say when these laws are put into action. So what do we do? And and this this won't apply to everyone, but... (laughs) I'm single, you know, and like, it's not helpful for me to view men through a lens of these people cannot possibly know what love is <laughs> yeah. and they can't ever love me, you know, like there's not, you know what I mean? It's just like, it's not fucking helpful. It's not true, but there is an element of truth to it. And it's, um, the element of truth gets super triggered, um, in these moments. So what do we do to stay open and loving, um, around at the very least, the idea of men when we're triggered in the wake of these laws? Yeah. And I'm just taking
1: a deep breath because it's through your share and, you know, first of all, you're not alone in, in feeling that way, you know, I want you to know that there, that core belief that you, I even hear you say, like, I know it's not fully true, but it, there's so much that has happened in your life. And again, you're not alone in that feeling of both mistrust towards towards certain kind of men um, and how you don't even want that to be your truth yet, it keeps on showing up, right? Mm -hmm. And in so many ways in our culture. And a big part of it is seeing how our culture has influenced meant to be the way they are like is this mm-hmm. an is this a state they're born with or is this something that they're manufactured into is mm-hmm. this an archetype you, you mentioned that that's just like swarming around in the collective unconscious you mm-hmm. know as young would say like it and you know it is so, such a deeply personal thing but what i'm hearing is like kind of related to what we were talking about before is how to not fall into this us versus them when some of like there is truth to some of what we're saying with certain men yet um, not falling into this black and white thinking around it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I'm a person that likes to carry hope yet it's not about collapsing into, okay, um, I'm going to accept the way things are. I'm not saying that, but it's like, how can I, see the way some of what's happening and also carry hope for that there can be change and evolution in men as well as in the way that culture uh, shapes men and because to me and if I really zoom out it's like well of course men are like this right they've been crafted to not have emotions to pull yourself up by your bulls bootstraps it's like they're a a complete mirror to capitalism. So right. many men, like in the way they're raised and how they've been and but how much shame men have had if they've, and this is again, not to like, try to force compassion for men, but I, if anything, it's, and again, I'm even overgeneralizing as I'm saying this, but um, I guess my own personal practice is to try to understand why. Mm-hmm. And so the more I work with men as clients and the more research it's like oof like it's it's not their fault and they also have responsibility right mm-hmm. like there is about we have to keep people accountable right and not shame so mm-hmm. that I mean that's mm-hmm. totally a Brene Brown thing but like in this society we're in now where we're learning about like okay why are we punishing people versus keep how do we keep people accountable reparative justice it's to me, it's like not that different, right? Like how do we repair the the way that men have been raised for the most part in this country? Um, archetype or not, we can, we can, I believe, and I like to hold hope on shifting that. And how do we do that? It's like the way that we shift and develop in all these other ways, but so much of it is social and emotional learning and learning that like the idea of capitalism is fucked, right? Like that it's hasn't fact. served anyone. Um, so, and there are different psychotherapists specializing on, on this for men and, you know, trying to, to, um, create a new culture or groups where men can share their feelings and
0: emotions. And there's, there are psycho psychotherapists who entirely dedicate their practice to changing men.
1: Well, to men specifically and, and upping their emotional availability, regulation, understanding, because I think.
0: That's, you know, a, a big gap. A, yeah, it's a huge yeah. gap. It is. Look, I'm going to I'm going to say I'm going to go so far as to say that it is why I'm single. <laughs> this, this gap <laughs> is a problem. Wow. Cool. I didn't know that. That's really
1: cool. And I yeah, love- there's a ton of men's groups these days that are about, you know, I don't know. Some people hate this term, but like, you know, detoxing masculinity. Um, you know, how do we like maybe it's reframe you know, masculinity or, um, de-shame feeling emotions and understanding them and feelings and being open and talking about them for, uh, you know, I think we're talking about a specific male population and, uh, I think I also cut you off. So I wanted to pause because what were you going to say?
0: No, I I'm, I'm like enthralled. I think I was just going to say, um, Oh, that I, I loved what you said. Look, I, it's really hard for me not to go to go into black and white thinking. Um, which by the way, I also recognize is traumatized thinking black and white thinking my, when I was in Al-Anon, um, I was in Al-Anon for many years and I had a sponsor for many years and she was like, black and white thinking when you see that that's when you know you've been traumatized and yeah um and <laughs> and i hear it in me all the time and like look you know i'm pissed i'm and i am traumatized <laughs> you know i'm not even trying to pretend like i'm not i'm full i'm like very open about the fact that i'm traumatized um but it, but it is really hard to not go into this like us versus them Um, but I really like what you say, like, it's not about forcing compassion. It's about like understanding the source of this and, um, giving space for men to, um, yeah, to like work through this stuff and show up in a different way in the future. It's like, I have to leave room for that possibility or else I'm, I'm going to feel hopeless. Right. Like,
1: and I want to validate, like we're in a culture that creates trauma.
0: Yeah.
1: So you're, you know, where most of us are stuck in black and white thinking, and to to carry complexity and nuance takes a very regulated nervous system, right? So it's like
0: <laughs> it's asking a <laughs> lot of of our
1: of people. And again, I like to carry this hope of what our social and emotional learning was taught at a young age and feelings and we're encouraged to go there. And it, you know, again, I know I'm in a bubble, but I, I see it in small doses. Um, mm-hmm. so yeah. yeah. And, and like, you know, when we have these, these stories, which we all do, we all have, and of course, cause we've developed these stories to protect us, right. So much of this is a, our nervous system thinking it's protecting us. Like men aren't men haven't been safe. So like I'm creating a story they aren't because I don't want to get hurt again. Or I don't want, you know, th- it all makes sense. And it takes meeting somebody who's going to even open a window to see differently or or try, you know, which is, it, that also takes an opening in the nervous system to let that in. And it, it's these are not easy things.
0: Can I ask you... <laughs> I, cause I would love uh, to be a fly on the wall of a therapist and her male client. Um, ha, d- do you find that men that your, your clients who are men that they talk to you about not feeling safe?
1: Yeah. You know, and I, you know, I, I often question is a serpent, certain, certain type of male that's open to therapy to begin with, mm, right. um, just based on the population I'm seeing. So, you know, you have to take everything I say with a grain of salt, but yeah. And like, you know, I see men from all different backgrounds and different ages where, mm-hmm. um, they have their own dysregulation or trauma, um, in the world about being a man and or but it's it's not so much that's not the story per se but it Mm. can be like fear of being being a sensitive male Mm. you know and how that's affected them or fear of failure and Mm. not kind of making it in a very specific again capitalistic way like you know and then some things are exactly the same as as non-binary Female, you know, you name it. Um, this like core, the core shames that so many of us carry of like something's wrong with me, and how mm-hmm. that shows up. You know, that's I think such a core wound of an evolutionary wound, but especially in our culture that plays on that and tries to feed the story of there's something wrong with you. So don't tell anybody what you're feeling, mm-hmm. thinking, or doing, mm-hmm. no matter the gender or uh, um, orientation, or you know, there's always. Everyone has stuff right. um, that they feel ashamed of and want to hide. I, I mean, okay, I'm saying everyone, a lot of people um, mm. that are, that are bringing it into consciousness and therapy is bringing things into consciousness. So the type of person who's going to do that by choice, some people are forced into therapy. Right. So that's a whole other, um, that's
0: a whole other thing. Yeah. yeah. Well, so um I, would love to end by just kind of reviewing some of these, um, hacks, you know, these central nervous system hacks and kind of just leave people with a list because, um, you know, obviously SB8 specifically targets women, but it's just part of a bigger collection of laws that are created to hinder people's power and rights. Um, in order to maintain power and also money for a select few and the, it's not new, but the pain that comes up feels fresh every time. Um, and you know, at least within our lifetimes, discrimination will likely always play a role in politics. And it's, again, it's not, it's not just specific to women. It's something that tons and tons and tons of people have and will experience. So Let's just review, like, what are the hacks to, um, to soothing our central nervous systems and kind of taking care of ourselves when we feel this, like these oppressive forces at work or like this fear state comes up around who has power and who doesn't. Um, One of them that you said was, um, taking deep breaths. It's just a very simple one, but it's when we forget, um, I mentioned nature. Go ahead. Yeah, I mentioned nature, but what, yeah, go ahead. What else, what other ones can we leave people?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, first of all, like tracking your own experience and knowing what makes you feel safe and what makes you feel unsafe. Because the more that you know that and can make lists of, like for you, right? It sounded like you have your own list of both what makes you feel empowered and what makes you feel safe. And the more resources and support you have, and this is something I, learn from my training, the relational center, but I think the better. So identifying that and literally making a list. Yeah. Yeah. And and making a list of, and that, so that you can make a safety plan for yourself. So is it talking to a friend? Which friend is it? Which friends do you feel like you can be your vulnerable, messy self? Mm -hmm. Um, Feeling supported, feeling not alone. Like I think there's something about feeling so targeted in this one in particular and feeling helpless, like what makes you feel empowered uh, for safety, then empowerment. And for you, that's like activism and remembering your boundaries. And this is not all my stuff. Like what, where's that in your life too? where, what makes you feel empowered, not alone, empowered gives you hope. Like, I think hope is huge. And when I heard you talk about zooming out and and that reminds me of nature, but also like do you have bigger meanings around trust or spirituality or source? Mm-hmm. And those practices mm-hmm. I think are so important. Cause like you said, when you're in nature, you forget about everything else. Right. And we mm-hmm. need those moments. We need those moments of pleasure and trust and zooming mm-hmm. out, um, especially in these moments that like grip us.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, I love and- the idea of pleasure as uh as, as like a mental health practice.
1: A hundred percent. Like, you know, uh, Adrienne Murray Brown is all about pleasure activism and, you know, the more we can do things in our day that are anti-capitalist. And I think this mm-hmm. is related to the, you know, this, um, SBA, it's like living, a activism can look so many ways. It's like, I'm going to take a nap today, right? Like these little things we can do that really fill us and make us feel, um, empowered or just like we're doing something for ourselves and not for the, this culture, not buying in as well as like, can we do things that feel like they're planting seeds for a different culture, a different future, a different universe. And in the back of my head, I've like climate control and like the earth, you
0: know, whatever's happening with that. I'm trying to push that to the side in the moment, but no, but I um love that totally. Yeah. Because it does make us feel like it's taking, um, what is my, my, my sponsor used to say taking contrary action. Yeah. It's like, I feel this thing feels fucked, but if I go over here and, um, you know, plant some oxygen creating, you know, I don't know, foliage, (laughs) then, then I'm taking it. Maybe it's not like I have single-handedly, um, T- taken out SB8, but like, I'm doing something over here that is creating a better world. And ultimately that's what I want.
1: Yeah. And, you know, it, it, that's reminding me, as you said that I'm thinking like, what keeps you present and when, you know, not just this whole mindfulness thing, but really like, there's something about doing the things you love, whether it's cooking or something of action where you're so in the moment that you can enjoy the moment because mm-hmm. really that's all we have dancing. You know really, dancing and movement i was going to say yeah. so big like especially after an emotional experience you want to shake off your body like mm. the research they're doing about emotions and the cycles that they take and when you look at animals they shake after a trauma experience mm. and whether it's shaking or tapping or even if you've been cackled i think was the example mm. that they gave um you got to talk about it with people and, and share it, but you also have to move the body and, and get that emotion, uh, through its full cycle. So, and movement is great too, that all the research about power poses and Mm -hmm. lengthening the spine and even mimicking a wonder woman pose, uh, does something to your system that makes you feel empowered. So there's, there's so much about the body. It's so much we store that it's so important to do so many practices, um, that's why I think rocking and humming, which is what Resma Menakem talks about, um, a lot about like soothing the nervous system. Is it singing for you? Is it humming? But I also think specifically for this one is the community. Like finding community where you feel felt, heard, and seen uh, to be held in this. Finding a therapist or whoever, some spiritual person, whatever it is that aligns with you and your values. So. Um you feel honored and seen in what you're feeling and, and get to own it. And then of course, self-compassion, like for how hard this is, right? Like using mindful self-compassion and whatever tools or resources. I love Kristen Neff's Meditations and Tim Desmond, all about giving yourself that tenderness and care of about this, but also how hard it is to be a human right now mm. and feel so out of control yeah. um, and with the uncertainty and. All those techniques, all the meditations and the worksheets you can do around that um to really to really hold yourself with tenderness in these moments
0: Ugh, I love i this is really helpful, and like I have a Mars and Capricorn, so I really like lists you know like yeah. i like I like lists of actions I can take um to help me heal and feel better, and I feel like we just made like a really fucking great list, so Julia, thank you so so you're welcome so much for coming on and chatting with me. I just adore you. Where can people find you? Um, I finally made a therapist Instagram so that yay <laughs> for
1: moments like this. And it's just uh Julia Willinger Therapy, but you can also just go to juliawillinger.com. Um, love to hear from you and I love doing this with you. And yeah, I think that the list part is so key. It's like bake. They- just even if you just start to make your own list for yourself, that when you're noticing you're upset or dysregulated, it's like, oh, I have this list and I can right. go to it. And I have an order too. What a, what's even accessible to me when I feel so dysregulated? Is that just like putting a blanket over me? Is right. that what I can do right now? But then you have a list for other things. I I, I love lists too, so yeah. I'm all for it.
0: Yeah, um, I had a therapist recommend to me uh, a couple of years ago, I was going through a really fucking gnarly depressive episode mm-hmm. and I was having, um, suicidal ideation and yeah. my therapist was like, make a list of all of the things that you really love doing. And next mm-hmm. time you start to really spiral, go through your list and do each of the things. And I did. And I was like, one of them was like, go to a thrift store because I, I could thrift forever. I could thrift for the rest of my life, (laughs) literally and do nothing else and be totally happy. Um, and I did another one was like, reach out to someone you trust and let them know that you're having suicidal ideation. So I reached out to my sister and like, my sister has kids and she was like sending me photos of her kids and she wasn't Mm. like, Oh my God, are you okay? Do you need this? You know, she wasn't, she was like here, like here they are in the bathtub here they are. And it was like, so warm. it was just like, I went through my list and I did each of the things and each of the things made me, it like, it was the bridge to getting to the other side Mm. of that um, really awful moment. And so I love what you're saying because I've done it and it works and I know it. And I forget in my mind, it was like, I do this when I have a depressive episode, but I have forgotten. Yeah. Like I can do that all the time i can yes. and i can, i can do that in other spaces where i'm feeling um reactive and fucked up over something so yeah perfect thank you so much julia yes awesome you are on insta i'm going to find you cuz i don't know if i'm am i following your therapist insta
1: i don't know it's it's new and i'm not doing very much on it but i will I but you will started it on. that's the first yes. step girl yes. okay exactly. awesome
0: and if you want to reach out to me, I am at the patramaparty party at gmail.com. And so far, that's the only place I have. <laughs> I haven't done anything with social media yet, but, um, but we probably will. And in the meantime, enjoy the party, baby, clean up your beer cans. Bye.